This is the Fire Dog Podcast. The views and opinions presented on today's episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Welcome, my name is Matt Wilson. Thank you for joining us for episode 30 of the Fire Dog Podcast. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to remind everybody that we now have a website. The website is firedog.us and it will act as the new hub for all episodes. The site also has a blog that will feature articles and commentary from people across the fire service. So make sure to check out the site, save it to your favorites. And if you're interested in contributing to the blog, click contribute at the top of the page. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you've been a listener for a while and have enjoyed what you've heard. The ratings help grow our audience and grow the show's credibility so that we can reach more firefighters within the Department of Defense and connect them with information that will help their careers and their fire departments. Our guests today are firefighters at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. They're both advocates for the International Association of Firefighters Peer Support Program, which is a program dedicated to supporting emergency responders who deal with behavioral health issues as a result of their service. They serve as a bridge to community resources or behavioral health treatment when necessary. Our guests are leaders of the program within their department and the community. It is my pleasure to welcome Brian Weeks and Andrew Oles. All right, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Your deputy chief contacted us and mentioned that uh, you have a well-established peer support program there at Wright Pat. And considering mental health issues affect many, and especially those in the fire service, I thought it was an excellent idea to have you on to discuss the program. But before we get into any of that, can each of you introduce yourselves? Give us a brief overview of who you are and what positions you hold. My name is Brian Weeks, and I'm the assistant chief for training at Wright Patterson Air Force Base Fire Department, and I am the peer support team coordinator. Andrew Rolls, uh, Lieutenant Wright Pat Fire, uh, peer support member. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure meeting both of you. And again, thanks for coming on. Uh, let's get into Thank it, you. man. I just want to hear a little bit about this peer support program. Um, so, what exactly is it? So, um, obviously, mental health is a concern, especially for first responders and obviously the fire service. So, one of the things that is on our radar is mental health with first responders. So the first responder realm has come up with a peer support team or a peer support program. And with this peer support team, uh, these different agencies, the job of the peer support team is to be a go-between between professional help and the person seeking help. So basically they can be a bridge or create a fill that gap to get them the assistance or the help that they need. Gotcha. Andy, you got to take is, I mean, that's pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Yeah, that really covers it. When you really get down to the brass tacks, this is guys talking to guys, getting personal and everything else. And this has a lot of different facets to it. When you actually look at it, um, you have guys talking to guys, people checking on each other, and that's what we're there for. Yeah, certainly. And it's something that we probably always have done. It's just kind of formalized at this point. You, it sounds like you may be formally trained, whereas before, you know, you're just talking to a guy, you, you weren't exactly sure where to take him or where to lead him. You're just kind of talking about it, right? When I first started, like in the fire service, there was a lot of stigma that we had with actually going out and talking to people. And one of the things that we actually really work on is on how to cope. You know, again, we're the bridge. So we're a lot of guys, we're a lot of people that have been through 
a formalized training. And when going through that formalized training, it's, it gave us a lot of resources to actually help get out to people and break down the stigma that was around with it. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about the training a little bit. So what kind of training do you have to do to be a part of this program? So <clears throat> there's uh, several different training programs out there. The training program that we utilized is kind of the overall seer of the program pretty much. And that's through the IFF Center of Excellence. Um, it's a two and a half day course. Um, you do a four hour course online before the course comes to your location. And then you spend basically a little over 16 to 20 hours in classroom. And during the classroom, um, you go through PowerPoint, you do group, group exercises, you do one-on-one -on -one exercises, you learn about active listening, you learn about um, trying to encourage coping skills. Um, pretty much everything's a coping skill. Uh, we want firefighters and first responders to learn good coping skills. And uh, that's one of the important things is um, trying to make sure that they realize that yeah, going out and having a beer after a rough call is a coping skill, but that's not necessarily a healthy coping skill. So it's trying to find a good coping skill. One of the things that I've noticed that we do is when we come back from a traumatic call or a serious call, uh, we kind of stand around in the bay and somebody naturally picks up a football and we just start throwing a football and we talk about the call. We're That's coping. And we're actually talking about it. So that's actually helping each other. So not everybody does it, but the ones that are actually out there doing it, we were doing it naturally without even thinking about it. And it took me going through this training in this class to actually recognize that that's what was going on. And it was actually benefiting us in the long run. I found the class pretty interesting too. Uh, when we had the when we had the instructors come through and they gave some of their own personal insight to some of the calls, you know, we had guys from FDNY, um, we had guys from some departments that they don't, they're not the big departments, but when you actually start hearing what their guys went through, of course we know FDNY, we know 9-11, we know what happened to them. Um, but again, the instructors, I thought they did a phenomenal job talking about their own personal experiences. Yeah. And, you know, and how to actually get up there and cope. Certainly. I think the biggest challenge with this class is this class was designed for non-DOD, uh, non-military personnel. Mm -hmm. So it was them bringing it to a military installation, to DOD civilians, and us being able to take it and take it from that aspect and bringing it into our realm and say, okay, this is how we're going to operate. So not only are we an all civilian department, but we do have other agencies that we work with on this installation that have military members that we have assisted using our peer support team, security forces, EOD, um, med group, the med group. So we've actually, used these um, skills that we've learned during this training with active duty members. And it's been proven to be beneficial because we are able to provide them the assistance that they need and provide them the resources that they need. 
some people that just need uh, somebody to listen to them. They just need somebody to talk to. Some people need advice. We're not trained professional counselors, but we do know how to listen and we do know how to get the information to the right people and obtain those resources to point that person in the right direction. And if that person's having a crisis, they are suicidal. Um, they are that far into a mental um, crisis that we know exactly how to create a safe plan and get them the treatment that they need immediately. Even with the active duty members, when you start actually looking at it, uh, you have sometimes it's their first call. Sometimes it's their first time seeing death up close, you know, actually getting in there, talking to them, seeing what they've seen and everything else. It helps when you have somebody that's a little more seasoned to actually sit down and talk to these guys or just even listen to them. Um, mainly it's just actually listening to them to sit down and hear what they have to say. Hey, was this your first call? Give them a question, right? And see what they're going to respond with. That was how a lot of my stuff worked. Um, I've worked with more than a few times, uh, med group, security forces, and actually, hey, is this your first time getting up there, seeing this, and actually acting and being put into this situation? Many a times, the day-to-day, -day, you know, it's not all death and destruction, you know, going into it. It's, you know, moments of nothing going on, followed by absolute pure chaos the next second. And, you know, we've had guys that, you know, they'd be working a night shift. And when they're working a night shift, all of a sudden they're going on, you know, a suicide call and everything else. They didn't expect to walk in that day and actually have to see that, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners can relate to that. And you could be somebody who doesn't think you necessarily need help at any given point, or you don't think you'll need help even in the future until you're confronted with that situation. It's the middle of the night and it's pure chaos after you just woke up from a deep sleep. You know, that could do, that could definitely have a, a take a mental toll, especially over a period of time. And it makes sense to have people in the department who are kind of formally trained on, hey, let's get you, or let's at least talk. Or let's at least cope. Well, a, a lot of our DOD civilians are veterans. Um, so a lot of us are prior service. And um, speaking from my own experience, I was in the Marine Corps as a firefighter. Um, I was never taught how to cope with death. I was never how to, taught how to cope with those traumatic scenes that I saw when I was downrange or even when I was here back in the States. Um, it was mission, mission, mission. And the military is good on a lot of things. Um, what the military is not so keen or doing well at is teaching first responders how to cope because that's really not what they're designed for. It's the mission is the priority. And we know that we get that. We sign up for that. Totally understand that. Well, after the fact, <laughs> that's where it becomes the issue. And that's what we're finding out. It's when I was 21, 22, 23, 24 in the Marine Corps. Yeah, none of this stuff fazed me. It was 2018 when my buddy overdosed that I got triggered. And then all of this stuff kind of flooded in. So I am a peer support coordinator. 
I utilize my peer support team, not only for asking, hey, what should we do in this situation? But I actually talk to some of the peer supporters. And I also um, utilize the VA mental health program. And some of the stuff that we discuss is, hey, what can we do to better ourselves as a department? What are some of the things that we can do? Um, and not only do we talk about coping skills, but we talk about the resiliency. We talk about the self-care and the stress management. And so these are some of the things that's important to talk about around the coffee table, the dinner table at the firehouse is what's important. Like, what are some of the things that you're going to do? The personnel that go to the room and sit in the room all day or isolate themselves when they're on their day off, they just sit at home. They don't really go out and do anything. Those are the personnel that show a concern. And it's not that they have a mental illness. It's not that they are throwing up all these big red flags because they might be fine right now. But it means that there's a concern because later on in life, it means that they didn't show that ability to have that resiliency, that self-care, that stress management, and that coping mechanism. So it's hard to learn the older you get versus when you're brand new to the fire service or in the first responder. Yeah, that makes sense. You go zero to 100 in this job really quick. And, you know, zero to 100, what I mean by that is, you know, you're running calls, you're doing everything else, shift ends, you got to go home. And now you actually have to be, you know, dad, husband, uh, significant other, and so on and so forth. But, you know, doing that zero to 100, that takes a toll. You know, you, you to go home and be normal after, you know, working codes and everything else you know, you're still processing that. And sometimes what I've even seen is that we go on a call, you know, we go, we act, once we're done, everything's good, fine, dandy, they, everyone goes home, everyone comes back on shift, and then it's a different story. A after, you know, they start absorbing everything that happened, you know, that following shift, that following morning, we work a 4872 here, so you get two days of it. And, you know, sometimes even if you're hit for an overtime shift, if you're hit for an overtime shift, you're still absorbing all that. And sometimes a lot of those, the, the effects of seeing all that trauma, it takes days for some people. Some people, it's an instant. Sometimes it just takes a little bit. But again, that's where peer support comes years, into right? play. Yeah, sometimes years even, you know, but when they go through everything, that's where the talking, hey, man, you good watching over your people, looking for those subtle changes and everything else. Yeah. You guys mentioned resiliency quite a few times, and it's kind of a buzzword or a buzz topic in, in the Air Force and the military. But the premise is, is sound, right? This peer support sounds to me like a more focused version of resiliency or of Air Force res resiliency programs or military resiliency programs. So I think the benefit of peer support, especially for first responders, especially FES for us, is um, we live together half the year. If you just take a normal, normal shift schedule, 24 on, 24 off, however you split it up, we live together half a year. We are family. So we know everybody, everybody's quirks. We know everybody's personalities. We know if somebody's changing. 
We know if somebody's having an off day. We know if somebody's having a good day. So being able to utilize that peer support um, and being able to have peer supporters throughout the department to recognize when somebody on their crew, something is off, something isn't right, is important because then that can say, you know what, we're going to keep an eye on this person. I'm going to ask them if they're all right. I remember when I was first became an EMT in 2001. We didn't say the S word. Suicide was a bad word. You don't want to say suicide because if you said suicide, you're putting it in their mind and they might kill themselves. It's not how that works. Now it's straight up. Hey, are you thinking about suicide? Mm-hmm. We straight up ask them now. Yeah. We're back in the day is mm-hmm. we said everything. You think about hurting yourself. Like you wanted to dance around the question. Mm-hmm. Now we straight up ask. Yeah, we have a better understanding of it now, you know. Absolutely. And the thing is, is, you know, they they even break it down even farther. We got active suicide. We got passive suicidal thoughts. So we can break it down even further. If you're an active suicide, then we need to create a safe plan right away and get you treatment right away. If you're thinking passive suicidal thoughts, we're going to create a safe plan. But it's not something where I need to be right there, like on a fire watch with air quotes with you right then, because I know that, yeah, you've had the thoughts. Um, statistically, there are statistics out there that say about 48% of first responders have suicidal thoughts sometime during their career. That doesn't mean that they're having an active thought as I'm going to go kill myself. It means that they've thought something as simple of how would my family deal if I was not around? That could be considered Mm -hmm. a passive thought. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. So when I first went to mental health for myself, I decided I wasn't going to go on base. I decided I wasn't going to go to the VA. So I decided to go out in the town. I go out in the town. I go to this guy. I said, hey, I'm a veteran. I'm a first responder. Gave my whole little spiel. And he goes, I don't know how to help you. I said, what do you mean you don't know how to help me? I'm not jacked up. He goes, no, I've never dealt with a first responder and a vet. Okay. And that's one of the problems that we're running into is a lot of people are not trained to deal with the PTSD, the depression, the anxiety. And a lot of people are in our career field have, those are the three top mental illnesses that people are, are we're seeing is PTSD, depression, and anxiety. And the PTSD obviously is going to be diagnosed by a medical professional, but you can have PTS, post-traumatic stress, PTSE, post-traumatic stress event where a single event happened, or PTSI, which is post-traumatic stress incident, where there was some type of incident that created it. So they've labeled it in all different categories. So when people say they have PTSD, if obviously they're diagnosed, then they probably say they have PTSD. But all of us in this career field, if they've been on some type of traumatic incident or event they have some type of post-traumatic stress they just might not have ptsd right sometimes it's acute and sometimes it can be chronic and sometimes it can be delayed and that's what we're finding as well is that an idle mind is a very difficult thing to control and so that's another thing that they're finding is retirees retirees are something that we're starting to focus on is a peer support team that our deputy chief that reached out to you is, Hey, let's start reaching out to our retirees and talk to them because these uh, individuals that retire, if they're forced to go out at the age of 57 as a civilian, 
or if they left at 50 because they had their 20, 25 years of federal service, um, they're not doing anything except for sitting at home that I don't mind. What is there to do except for think about all the times that you had in the fire service? And then you start getting lonely. And then if you have loss of a spouse or loss of a friend or who knows what can be your trigger. And then once that trigger hits, then that's when we call it spiraling. And that's what we want to prevent. And that's where the resiliency comes in. You know, the repeated trauma exposure of this job, you know, check on the guy that is the rock, you know, nothing phases him and everything else because sometimes that's the that guy is really suffering he's been through a lot and everything else and no one checks on him just because he's the rock or she's the rock you know that was when you actually have to sit down with somebody and ask that tough question of hey are you suicidal you know sit down and this is a real serious closed door conversation to check on your buddy some action is always better than any inaction. And when you're actually with these people talking to them, when you're, when your fellow brother or sister says, yeah, this is really affecting me. All right, cool. You know, it's just like any other call. We're always going to do something and step up to the plate and, you know, help get them help. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Brian, you talked, we talked on the phone just a bit before, before we were recorded, I guess about a week or so before. And then you mentioned a couple of times an event that happened in your personal life in 2018. I'm wondering if you're willing to, to share that story uh, and you know how it, I guess, contributed to this effort that you've kind of embarked on. Well, so yeah, I have no problem. I And that was one of the things that I talked about when we discussed this on the phone is that um, since I joined the peer support team, uh, I teach a lot of classes, uh, especially with our um, health and wellness, and especially with peer support. And when I teach these classes, uh, if I reach just one person during that class where they come up to me afterwards, and we usually have at least one that comes up to me afterwards and says, you know, if an assistant chief can go up there and talk about the struggles that they've had, I feel comfortable enough walking up and saying, Hey, I need help. And to me, that means a lot because, um, I really don't care about the rank, uh, realistically. Um, I was that rock that Andrew was talking about. Um, nothing phased me. I was pretty good. The 2018 incident was a buddy of mine reached out to me. I was finishing my degree. I was writing a paper. Um, it was a Wednesday night and I had about an hour till the paper was due and I procrastinated. I had like only half of it done and I was in my last term. So I was like, Oh, I'll hit him up this weekend when I'm at work. Well, um, Saturday, Friday morning or Friday night into Saturday morning, he overdosed. Obviously he died. Um, so I didn't get a chance to reach out to him that weekend. And then we started this peer support class the very next week. So there was a lot of what ifs. Um, I what ifed it to death. What if I really reached out to him? What if I would have done this? Uh, what if I would have been concerned more about his life instead of my paper? 
Um, so I beat myself up for that for a long time. Really struggled with that. Um, talked about it a lot during therapy. Um, realized that, you know what? It didn't matter if I reached out to him or not. If he truly had a mental illness and he had stuff going on, um, if he wasn't going to get help. And at the time, I didn't have the training, so I didn't know what to do or how to help him. Uh, who knows what would have happened? The outcome would have been unknown. Um, it, it, it's no fault of mine, but it took some time. But then in 2019, um, my brother-in-law took his own life. And that was a huge struggle for me. And a uh, matter of fact, until about a year ago, it was about a year ago that I couldn't even talk about it without breaking down. And uh, Oles is actually one of my peer supporters that we talk a lot about it. Um, we text message each other. We see each other all the time, but we text message each other at least once a week. Buddy check, make sure everybody's all right. Uh, we talk on the phone at least once a week. and we see each other at least three or four times a week at work. So this is in between when we don't see each other. So we check on each other regularly. And that's something that's important. And um, so my, my sister said that, you know, my brother-in-law is acting strange, things are going on. She's afraid that he's having issues and he's struggling. So I asked if he was suicidal and she said, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, is it all right if I talk to him? And she said, yeah. So I had a discussion with him and I talked to him and I asked him, I said, are you suicidal? And he said, no, just a lot of stress, a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know how it is, work, home life, living with your sister, stuff like that. We kind of laughed. I said, I get it. And then uh, my son was actually graduating Air Force basic training. So we drove down to San Antonio and on the way back, uh, my sister sent me a picture. They had SWAT and EMS outside of their house and they negotiated with him for about three hours and he took his own life in his garage. So um, I moved my sister and my niece and my nephew into my house and I've been trying to help with them since. And uh, that was kind of leads into the next thing I was gonna talk about is compassion fatigue. Um, one of the things that is a challenge for peer supporters is compassion fatigue. And what compassion fatigue is, is not only are you dealing with your own mental health issues, or you could be, but you're also taking in a lot of the, I guess, the emotions of other individuals that you're talking to. So I'm not taking on like their pain and their suffering, but I'm feeling for them. So if Andrew comes to me with an issue that he's dealing with, I am empathetic and I have sympathy for him, but the whatever his issue is might not affect me, but I feel for him because we're friends. That's something a lot of people probably deal with, huh? It is. And that's where the resiliency and the self-care come into play. And especially those people that you mentioned earlier that are rocks. Yes. And it gets to the point where you become overwhelmed. Um, in therapy, uh, I used to use, you take a stack of bricks and each brick is a, a mental health issue. And you stack these bricks up. And after so long, the bricks get so high, what are they going to do? They're going to fall over. 
Well, I was at my grandparents' house and my grandma around the holidays, she always has a jar of spicy gumdrops. And so I was like, oh, I like this analogy better. So you take spicy gumdrops, looks like a little bell, and you have that in a jar. Each gumdrop is one of my mental health issues. Each void space is what I take in being a peer supporter. Eventually, all those void spaces overflow, and then everything overflows, and I become overwhelmed. That's a good analogy. So being able to be resilient, being able to have that self-care, and being able to learn how to maintain that equal level to where it doesn't overflow is a, a key to the success. Um, unfortunately, I'm way better at preaching it than practicing it um, because it's probably it's probably at least once a month or once every two months that I need to say, oh, I need to step back. I just need a moment because it just it gets overwhelming. When you've when you've done the peer support for a little bit, you have to step back. It's when you have a specific incident and, you know, there was an incident where we had a late night incident and then I was going around checking on, you know, our fire department personnel, checking on the supporting agencies that had come out and everything else. And I remember I signed in to the station extremely late. And that compassion fatigue, the mental fatigue and everything else, just getting your own quiet. Something that we forget a lot about is dispatchers. You know, these dispatchers hear these people at their absolute worst moment in time. And many times they just get the units rolling, they get them on scene and everything else. And then they never know what really happens. They, they kind of have an idea of what's happening just by listening to the radio, but we forget about the people in the box. And, you know, that was the one thing that I've always tried to do is that once I get back in the station, walk into the dispatch center, Hey, you good? You know, let's sit down and talk. What's, you know, do you feel anything, you know, and of course everyone's different. You know, sometimes you're going to get people that just give you a thumbs up and say, yep, good. All right. But then you're also going to have people that be like, man, what happened to that nine month old? What happened to what happened to what happened to? And then you just kind of just sit down and talk about it. But getting actually in there and talking to people, you know, uh, because they're not actually in the group, it's easy to forget about them. Walk in there and check on. Yeah, that's great advice. So bringing the peer support program to Wright-Patterson, was that, that was an idea that had formulated before you went through the events that you went through, Brian? And was it your idea to bring it to Wright-Pat or it was kind of a collective no, effort of the department leadership? That was already in the process of working its way here. And um, it just so happened that 2018, Legit happened the weekend before we started class. I already knew I was taking the class. I already knew all that was going on. Um, it just so happened that it happened right around that time. Um, my friend that killed himself, he was a uh, Army veteran, uh, airborne, and he was also a firefighter, EMT. So uh, we grew up in the same town. He was four years younger than me. I was his fire captain at my volunteer department. My family knows his family type deal. So there's some definite ties there. Um, and so that hit pretty hard. 
but yeah, the, the training that we're um, getting ready to take, uh, I believe it was set up by the union. It was set up by the union and um, they opened it up to the department. We had a total of 30 members go through the class. Um, and then we had an additional five personnel take another class with the city of Dayton about a year and a half later. So we've had 35 members trained. We have 25 that are active peer supporters at this time um, because, um, like Andrew said, it's it can be rough for the peer supporters. So when a peer supporter comes to me and says, hey, I need a break, you're still trained. So anytime you want to come back, you come back. But I definitely want you to take that break, especially for your mental health, because I understand. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point. That's something that I never thought of was the compassion fatigue. Because I, when you when you first presented this idea to me, or your deputy chief did, and then I talked to you on the phone, I'm thinking you're one of two, maybe three, and you're the guy, right? That everybody goes to, like, hey, I'm having issues. But now that you bring that up, that's a fantastic point. And having kind of a team of people that you can tap out and tap in, you know, whenever you want. That sounds like an excellent thing. Even when we have a significant event you'll have the peer supporter that's assigned to this individual, but then you also have someone assigned to the peer supporter to vent to, because it, it can get very overwhelming real quick. Um, that's something that I found is that you're interacting with all these people and stuff. And sometimes you just need to break yourself. Boom. You go over, I'll go to, I'll go to Brian. Dude, you wouldn't believe this. This is, you know, everything else. And we keep a lot of this stuff amongst ourselves. Is there's so much that doesn't go out and it's really hard in actually discussing this stuff. So, Hey, I have a person, you have to be anonymous and everything else. And many a times, uh, coming back onto the suicide thing, Hey, I took a person in, um, they're getting treatment, so on and so forth. Hey, do you need some time to help this person? And even through our management plans and stuff, we have a way to actually give the peer supporter time along with that individual so that you have time to actually work and get things squared away. Yeah, what a fantastic program. I mean, even it sounds like in the department, it's just interwoven into your guys' culture. Um, I, I wanted to get into a little bit. So I, I think it's an excellent thing, obviously. But I'm really kind of fascinated with the fact that it was that it is on a DOD installation where we have, you know, Air Force, uh, specially trained chaplains, mental health clinics, family counseling programs. How or were there any hurdles into bringing this into the fire department on a DOD installation where all those programs exist? Not one hurdle at all. So the the thing is, is that. Um, uh, and I can talk from experience. I'm a dependent. So uh, my wife was active duty military. She got medically retired. So I still have TRICARE, also VA, so on and so on. So um, I can go to the base hospital for my care. Uh, I tried to go to the base hospital at first. Base hospital, they're just going to farm me out because I'm not active duty. So they're going to send me off base anyway. So since we're a civilian department, that was not an issue. We had an incident one time. Uh, we had a fatal car wreck right outside the gate. 
Uh, our crews responded. Our crews were exposed to the fatality. And so we contacted mental health from the hospital and mental health showed up about six hours later. So having a peer support team, and I don't know what the recall status is. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know if they were even, if we're even on the radar of, hey, if we have like a fatal incident, do you guys go talk to the fire department? You know what I mean? So having peer supporters in the station makes it simple because if station one's involved, I have peer supporters at station three, I have peer supporters at station two. Station one's involved, I get a peer supporter from station three, I get peer supporters from station two, and they come talk to station one. So um, if it's a significant event where I got multiple stations at the incident, I get a phone call from chief two or whoever the ops chief is that day, I activate individuals from the peer support team that are at home, I'll come in, and then a certain amount of individuals from peer support at home will come in, and then we will go to each station and talk with the crews and make sure that everybody's good. If anybody's having an issue, they talk to us one-on-one, and then we point them in the right direction for the treatment that they want. We always reach out to the chaplain. Most of the time when we reach out for the chaplain, it's for the actual family members of the individual that it affected if it was somebody in base housing or if it was a traumatic event for somebody at a certain facility on the installation because we do have the peer support team so eap doesn't really they kind of do the same thing that we do um but they don't know who we are so it's a lot easier to talk to somebody you know that knows you that kind of knows your experience that also you know that Hey, you know, if I talk to Andrew, I know that he's not going to go to anybody else and talk about this because me being the peer support coordinator, I know more the what's going on than the fire chief, but I don't know specifics. I know people that are being peer supported, but I don't need to know the specifics because I know that my peer supporters are handling it. I don't get involved unless it's, it's one of the three reportable things suicidal homicidal or abuse it's one of those three reportable things then i need to know and then i need to report it up but if it's not one of those three reportable things i don't need to know any specific details i just need to know that you're peer supporting somebody because i don't want to over over tap one of my peer supporters hey i need this i need this i need this i need this because if i over tap them i'm just adding to that gumdrop drawer and i don't want to do that there's a lot to be said about having those peer support individuals where the rubber meets the road, the people that know you and interact with you on a day-to-day basis. And that's something that just in my tenure in the Air Force, I've seen evolve. When when it, it kind of became an issue, mental health kind of became a bigger issue, you know, maybe a decade or so ago or even even sooner than that. And as it's evolved, it's kind of been like, well, hey, the most important thing is that you have relationships with the people that are next to you because that is you're the front line, you're where the rubber meets the road, and that's where these things get prevented. There's a lot to be said about that. But on top of that, even with your with your program, people are afraid of reprisal and going to mental health professionals and getting it put on their record. And what a fantastic idea to have a resource in your department. You only have three things that you are required to report on. Everything else, just tell me what's going on in your life. And 
now none of this is necessarily medically recorded, but at least it's kind of like a um, a relief valve for them and that they can get this off of their chest. They don't have to worry about reprisal. They feel comfortable to do it. Um, one of the things that I find about peer support is that I think it's easier. Uh, there's a lot less stigma to actually sit down and talk to one of these guys that's trained. It's there have been times where you've been on shift and you had, you know, a fatal fire or whatnot. And after that, you know, zero seven, zero eight comes along, you go home, you digest, you come back in and now you're seeing all your faces again. I think peer support is a hundred times easier. You're not getting the record. You're not getting, you're not getting, don't get me wrong. I really think there's a place and a time for mental health, but for a lot of people, something that I've seen is that the reason they don't want to go into mental health is it's going to be hard for me to actually sit down to a mental health provider and say, well, I was in this house, this happened and so on and so on. And people, they just don't think that they're going to understand them. Right. Peer support. I, I've been there. I've, we were there together or I've been there at some point in my career and that I think, you know, the relatability of it, I think that's key, but also there is a time to actually sit down and talk to a provider. It's, it's another person hearing what you're saying from a completely different perspective. And from my own personal experience, um, lets me know I'm not crazy. Yeah, no kidding. I, I have a, a person that I work with that is kind of going through a similar process and explaining it to me, they said they have to kind of establish a relationship with this provider. So that's another element to this is, okay, Hey, what's your name? Tell me about your life story. And that could take, you know, weeks or months. And then, then they have to be comfortable to open up. Okay. Is this person, is this person, um, did they honestly care about me? Do they want to help me? Okay. You know, that could be three months in, right. Before you get to a, a productive point in your relationship with your provider to where you're solving your mental health problem with peer support it's probably a little bit more immediate because i already know i trust this person i already know this person and so let me let's just get right to it you know with mental health um well with the mental health department you fill out a form every time you go in for an appointment and within the last two weeks have you felt this um, I came back to write Pat in February, 2017. I've been working with Andrew since then. So since February, 2017, I see him at least three to four times a week. I don't need to explain that every time I talk to him is him being my peer support. You know what I mean? So it makes it very simple yeah. that if he says, Hey, how you doing today? You seem kind of off. I ain't got to explain anything. I ain't got to tell him this is how I felt in the last two weeks because he knows because we talk regularly. And that is a huge benefit because most first responders have friends that are what? First responders. <laughs> Our dark sense of humor that we have is known as deflection. Uh, we use humor during dark times because it's deflection because we try to turn the sad, really twisted, messed up things into humor so it doesn't affect us because we see bad stuff all the time. Nobody calls us at two in the morning that says, hey, I made you a pan full of brownies. Do you guys want them? 
if they did at first i'd be kind of <laughs> mad that they called me in two in the morning but next i'm like thank you uh, so that, and that's yes, kind we'll of what take we're, them, please. <laughs> you're right this better be the turtle turtle brownies but it's one of those things that we're getting called out like what andrew said earlier the people's worst moments so we're getting called out at their worst moments so we're not getting called out for the good stuff now granted people are very appreciative of what we do and that means a lot when people come to the firehouse to say thank you for the stuff that we've done it does mean a lot it means a lot to the personnel in the department but it also means a lot that we can openly talk about mental health and hey we're struggling without being fearful of hey you can't be a firefighter anymore because that's going to do me a lot of good is the one thing that i love doing you're going to take away from me because I'm struggling mentally. It doesn't work like that. So have the peer support program. And you know what? Our leadership, our fire chief and our deputy fire chief are awesome because they support this 100%. Um, our fire chief even took the assist training that um, we brought into the base as well. And uh, that creates a safe plan for somebody that's suicidal. And uh, he uh, is a big advocate of it. Obviously, our deputy chief reached out to you. Um, and without them two being as involved as they are, uh, they have a lot of confidence in me and the team. If I walk into them and say, hey, I'm pulling so-and-so off the truck and this person needs to go talk to somebody, they let it happen. They don't question it. They don't need to know the details. They let it go. And all I got to say is it's peer support and they're saying, okay, let us know if you need anything. That's awesome. And you even have a procedure written down. Right. And it's huge because that's, that's something that the, that is basically the backbone. If you have that from the top, then it's a lot easier to be able to get the rest of the department along with it. And it's a lot easier for us peer supporters that are trying to do what's best for the department members because we know that we have the backing from the top. Yeah. So that, that, that to me is what's important because some of the other DOD installations that I talk to, um, some of the leadership or some of the, even the old timers, we'll call them, <laughs> which are people my age, which is weird. But <laughs> Some of the old timers out there is, oh, I've seen the worst calls of this and the worst calls of this that don't affect me, so on and so on. We don't know what people's triggers are going to be. And, you know, I never in my life thought that I would be in this position or I would even be talking to mental health the way I am, but I do. And it actually helps a lot. And I'm all for it. And like I said earlier, my son is, he's a Air Force firefighter now. and I've made it very clear to him that I don't want him to run into the situation that I ran into where I'm 20 years into my career and boom, this hits me. So I want him to know what to do now and understand it before it becomes an issue. And I think he does. And I think that that's important because being able to understand it at an early, early time in your career versus a late time will help set you up for success especially with mental health in the fire service. We work in pairs as well. And working in pairs gives you a, a safety factor. B, you know, we can sit there and bounce things off of each other. Man, did you see that? Did you see that? How did you see this? How did you see that? And everything else. 
going into a stressful event as a group, it's just like a fire. You're going in there as a team. It's something you can talk about. It's something that you can sit there and you have another sounding board. And it's not just a one-way perspective of seeing some event. Yeah, absolutely. So last, last question I had, Brian, you mentioned on the phone when we were discussing this, that you collaborated with other departments outside of, you know, the confines of right Pat. So I'm wondering, first of all, you know, how, how often are you being utilized as in the peer support program? And, you know, how often are you collaborating with people outside of, of the base? And, you know, is there a network of people within peer support that you can call upon? So, um, obviously, right, Pat's in the state of Ohio. State of Ohio has their own peer support team um, based out of Columbus. Uh, it's ran through the Ohio IFF. Um, and so Dayton has created a region peer support team. And we're one of the departments on that team. There's actually five with another two talking about joining the team once they get personnel trained. Um, and we have the second highest number of personnel. Uh, we have seven total that are on the region team, which are also part of our regular department team. Um, and what we do is we try to maintain a rotation uh, with our personnel. So if we get called out for the region team, uh, whether there's a traumatic event or a death of a department member outside of the um, we had like a Dayton firefighter that took his own life and they reached out to our peer support team and said, Hey, could you guys provide some peer supporters? Because if we have a traumatic event or something happen in our department, our peer supporters are going to be affected as well. So being able to reach out to those other departments that have that those peer support teams that are part of our region peer support team or we're part of their region peer support team is a benefit because of that way we can bring people in that can assist us as well, because we're going to be dual role that we're going to be not only um, potentially mourning, but we're also going to be um, trying to be peer supporters as well. So having that availability is a huge benefit. Uh, we meet like once a month with that region team. Um, it's supposed to be where myself and Andrew meet with the team um, because we kind of are the two that were going to the meetings out there. But what I do because of COVID and Zoom, uh, I will bring my laptop into the base and I'll set it up in the training room and I have all the region team members come in and I just show it in the training room so that everybody can be part of the meeting at once. Um, because I think it's important for all the team members to know what's going on, even if they're not on the region team member, but they're peer supporter. I let them sit in there so that they understand what the region's trying to do. There's a lot of good things that they're doing in this area. There's a couple of hospitals that are uh, doing a fast track method for peer support. So, or for first responders, if a first responder is having a crisis, um, if I'm having a crisis, Andrew can take me to one of the hospitals in the local area and they fast track me in front of everybody straight to mental health. That way I'm talking to a provider immediately. I'm getting, if I need medication, I'm getting medication immediately and they're getting me fixed up immediately because 
they know that what I do is important. And they also know that if they make me sit out there and wait, some of the people that I've been around or potentially have treated out in the field could possibly be sitting there. And that could be awkward for me and could make me more agitated. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, again, the, the program sounds terrific. Um, and gosh, it's, it's a lot more than I thought that it was. It's beyond just a person to talk to, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it's a, it's a program that's built into the fabric of an organization and even into the fabric of the state and, and responders across the state and the city and the region. So it's pretty excellent stuff. So if there's anybody out there interested in maybe bringing it to their department or interested in becoming a peer support team member themselves, what can they do? So um, there's a lot of avenues that they can do. Um, actually, here in the near future on the AFCAC uh, SharePoint, you're going to see a mental health tab. Um, I'm part of that committee. You're going to see not only our management plan, Charleston's management plan, a couple other resources, education type training. Um, one of the resource pages I actually put on there was how to get the initial training um, for the website. I'll also email it to you so that you can post it. Um, because it is something that is important, uh, mental health, uh, not only for everybody, but especially for first responders. Um, I think that it's, it's been a huge success for us. Uh, we have had, we have had a lot of good success with it. And I think that it's helped a lot of people. And I think that, um, the resources that are out there, uh, as far as like apps and the different classes and trainings that we do, uh, far exceeds anything that we can try to get from doing CBTs or um, trying to pick up little things here and there from people that don't know who or what first responders do. And uh, we think that that's probably one of the biggest struggles that we face is we're not in the same same crowd as everybody else. So being able to understand that well, I'm a whole different type of person than what you're trying to talk about or trying to treat. And so there's, like I said, the resources out there. I'll send all that to you. Um, I'll even highlight it so it'll show exactly where we got the training from. There are other trainings in different states. They all run around the same price from what I've seen. Um, but it's just, it's going to be really up to the individual or the individual's department on how they're going to get it. Yeah, we could certainly push that out. Absolutely. And we will do that. Um, again, I, I really appreciate you guys coming on and, and talking about this. Do, uh, do either one of you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, we definitely appreciate the opportunity. Um, thank you for having us on here and I have no problem if you want to do this again sometime. We appreciate it. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Uh, thanks both of you again. Take care. All right. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fire Dog Podcast. You can find more commentary, articles, and episodes just like this regularly posted on our new website, www.firedog.us. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Fire Dog Podcast. And on Instagram at the Fire Dog Podcast. That is the Fire DAWG podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow to stay plugged into every new episode. 
and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you've enjoyed this episode. Lastly, we'd love it if you'd share this podcast with your friends and coworkers, either on social media or right there at the firehouse. This is Matt Wilson with guests Brian Weeks and Andrew Oles. Until next time, stay safe.